Well, it has been good to be back uh, here with church family and my church home. You know, I've shared with you growing up, I attended uh, the Lutheran church with my grandmother and little girl that was sitting behind me this morning was, as we were worshiping, uh, she was worshiping through uh, making cat sounds, uh, meowing to the, the tune of the music. And uh, I remember as a little boy going to, the, going to the Lutheran church with my grandmother and we had, they, they played, you know, there was no guitar or even really a piano. There was just an organ. And I remember that the, the organ was really loud and uh, I didn't understand a lot of, of the lyrics to, to the, uh, the, the hymns that we sang. That a lot of them really, even to us, wouldn't be familiar. They were really uh, older hymns and used a lot of old English and these and thys and thous. And uh, I remember in the midst of that one day just getting a wild hair and, and I started howling like a dog to the tune of whatever we were singing. And it embarrassed her so much. But I want you to tell, tell her when she comes back that, you know, she was making a joyful noise to the Lord. And uh, sometimes we do what we can do. Uh, and I remember doing that growing up, and, and that was sort of the beginning of, of my church experience. And uh, I got to go home and, and worship with some, some friends, and that was refreshing to me. At the same time, I feel like every time I take a road trip with my kids, uh, I'm only 35. I'll, I'll be 35 in September. And to some of you, that's not very old. But I feel like every time I take a trip with my kids, I age just a little bit more. We, we take Highway 107 and when we leave Gatesville, and uh, we take that road, and it hits uh, Highway 7, which turns into Highway 6. We go through College Station, uh, and in Navasota, we get on Highway 105, and, and that will eventually bring us to Beaumont, Texas, uh, and we'll get on Interstate 10 there, and it's about a 30-minute trek to Orange, Texas. Of my home. It's my hometown, and uh, that route is okay, but the problem that... that I've encountered as I've traveled, you know, we've been in Gatesville for eight years, and over those eight years, Conroe, and especially the lake area and downtown area, is, is just growing. And uh, it's better than, than sitting in a traffic jam, but every, you know, every mile or so, there's a stoplight uh, going through Lake Conroe, and, and it, the speed limit's about 55 miles an hour, and the cars drive about 65, and so you just race from one stoplight to the next. Uh, and I get so sick of that. And then you get past uh, Conroe and, and you go through these old towns like uh, Cut and Shoot. Does anyone know where Cut and Shoot is? Uh, in Security, Texas. And uh, <laughs> you got you to gotta get to the security. You got to go through Cut and Shoot and then make it to security. And, uh, you know, the speed limit, you know, you have these little speed traps and you go through those towns and... Uh, it takes, you know, it takes us a long time to get through that, even though you're taking some, some, you know, some of the back roads. Uh, but the alter, the alternative to that is is going through downtown Houston, and so we have this Waze app. You ever heard of the Waze app? It's a GPS app on your phone, and it, it the the point of it is to help you navigate traffic. And and I noticed that the Waze app was actually taking me the time that I routed our trip just to see took me through Houston, downtown Houston on Interstate 10, and I thought, well, that's kind of scary because you never know what Houston traffic's going to be like. I remember going to Houston as a kid, and it's just always crazy. It's always bad. There's always road construction, but, but it had us passing through before rush hour, before 4 o'clock, uh, assuming we don't have to stop 20 times to go to the bathroom, and so I, I took that chance. I ignored what the GPS told me, 
and uh, I, I, or I, ignored, I ignored taking our normal route. I took that chance. Uh, sure enough, as we're about 30, 40 minutes outside of Beaumont on Interstate 10, the Waze app alerts me that there's a traffic jam ahead of me. And, and it wasn't rush hour traffic, so I'd beat the rush hour traffic, but there was a wreck. And, and so what the Waze app tries to do is to reroute you, and it was rerouting me on this farm-to-market road, and it was about 25 minutes out of my way. And so you know how it is when you're familiar with an area and you think, well, I know better than this GPS app because I know what Interstate 10 is like, and I know this area. I've made it through Houston. I've made it through the bad part. And so I think, you know, traffic jams on this part of the interstate, they clear up pretty quick. I don't want to go 25 minutes out of my way. So I didn't go 25 minutes out of my way on the farm market road, but I sat on Interstate 10 for about an hour. And it hit me as I'm sitting in that traffic jam on Interstate 10 that I had become the old guy that doesn't trust technology. <laughs> and when, when did this happen? You remember when GPSs came out, right? We kind of, you were right to be skeptical of them. I mean, they were, the, the satellite signal was kind of sketchy, and, and, and especially on the back roads, you, you weren't quite sure if it would function well, but, but here we were, you know, and, and I'd used this before, and, and you know, I'm, I'm not the youngest of the young, but I, I trust technology, but apparently at this moment, I, I didn't. And it was because I was driving a familiar road, I was in a place that I thought I knew and understood, and I really had a handle on what was going on, and I chose not to trust it. And I think sometimes we have a tendency with God when it comes to dealing with things that, that are just familiar and comfortable, and, and we live by that a dodge. If it, ain't, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Just don't mess with it if everything's going good. And probably every Baptist church that's older than 20 or 30 years old, they, their slogan is, well, we've never done that before. I mean, I find myself saying that, you know, well, why don't you try this? Well, I've never done that before. Why do you want to do that? We don't mean to, but sometimes I think we don't really give God, we don't give the Holy Spirit a chance in our lives sometimes because of our habits and our routines and just what we're used to. And we think, hey, we've, we've done this, we've been down this road before, we, we know what's going on. I'm going to be back in 1 Samuel, and I want you to turn to 1 Samuel 11, chapter 11 with me. It'll be our text, verses 1 through 15. And there's this episode where after Saul was anointed king, that was the last time I preached, that's where we were, Saul was anointed king. And there's this new time in the life of Israel. We're not sure what's going to happen because they've never, they've never had a king to deal with their problems. They've always had judges. And, and anytime there was a problem, when, when uh, in this case it's going to be uh, the Amorites will, will pose a problem for them, and that's happened before. But anytime there was a problem... One of the judges would deal with it if, if they had a good judge, if, if the judge was able to, if, if the certain people within Israel, the certain region recognized the judge. You know, all these ifs and all these uncertainties. But they kind of got used to that. And now Saul is the king. And, and, and what's going to happen is they, they face this. Well, we're going to read that, that God is, is given a chance, but it's not necessarily because uh, it, was, it was because they didn't really have a choice. Look at, at 1 Samuel chapter 11. I'm going to read verses 1 through 15. It's on your screen as well. Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh, Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to him, Make a treaty with us, and we will be subject to you. 
But Nahash the Ammonite replied, I will make a treaty with you only on the condition that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you and so bring disgrace on all Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, Give us seven days so we can send messengers throughout Israel. If no one comes to rescue us, we will surrender to you. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and reported these terms to the people, they all wept aloud. Just then Saul was returning from the fields behind his oxen, and he asked, What is wrong with everyone? Why are they weeping? Then they repeated to him what the men of Jabesh had said. When Saul heard these words, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he burned with anger. He took a pair of oxen, cut them into pieces, and sent the pieces by messengers throughout Israel, proclaiming, This is what will be done to the oxen of anyone who does not follow Saul and Samuel. Then the terror of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out together as one. When Saul mustered them at Bezek, the men of Israel numbered 300,000 and those of Judah 30,000. They told the messengers who had come, Say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, By the time the sun is hot tomorrow, you will be rescued. When the messengers went and reported this to the men of Jabesh, they were elated. They said to the Ammonites, Tomorrow we will surrender to you, and you can do to us whatever you like. The next day, Saul separated his men into three divisions. During the last watch of the night, they broke into the camp of the Ammonites and slaughtered them until the heat of the day. Those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. The people then said to Samuel, Who was it that asked, Shall Saul reign over us? Turn these men over to us so that we may put them to death. But Saul said, No one will be put to death today, for this day the Lord has rescued Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal, and there renew the kingship. So all the people went to Gilgal and made Saul king in the presence of the Lord. There they sacrificed fellowship offerings before the Lord, and Saul and all the Israelites held a great celebration. The elders gave God seven days when they're approached with this, this problem that they were used to being dealt with by judges. They said, well, give us seven days and we'll, we'll find out what's, what's going to happen. And that's, that's, I guess, better than zero days, right? And so God takes this chance and, and he does something in the life of his people. They give God this chance. And I think that one of the things we get from this text is that giving God a chance in our life sometimes involves facing difficulties. We, we think that because God is with us that, that we shouldn't face difficulties or that it should be easy or, or we take difficulties as a sign that maybe God doesn't want us to do something. Sometimes when we give God a chance, it means facing and going through the difficult thing. I heard about uh, the explosion in our hospital uh, when it happened. I was at home and I was watching our kids and Michelle was at a doctor's uh, a doctor visit, not here at our clinic. She was in Waco. But I remember hearing about that and, and just not really being able to do anything. Uh, and if you were like me, you kind of uh, maybe watched posts on social media to follow what was happening. And uh, you saw kind of the pictures and uh, just kind of followed it event by event, event as it was happening. And, but I just, there was not a lot I could do. And uh, the next day, I, I spent fielding phone calls from folks that wanted to know, like, how can we help? What do we need? Uh, are there people that we can bring things to or money that we can donate to? And I, I spent some time doing that. And, uh, and then after that, we, we left and, and we went to, to go see my family. But I think the thing that I was struck by in the midst of all that was, 
was how willing people were just to stop and say, well, it doesn't matter uh, what happened or why it happened or how it happened, but, but there's just people that need help. And, and people in our community came together and they donated money and supplies. And I stopped by Hillside Nursing Home uh, on Wednesday and, and just saw mounds of, of clothing that had been donated by people. Uh, for, for residents that, that were not, uh, that just had to be moved very quickly and couldn't take their things with them. Uh, I read where Burger King donated just hundreds of dollars of food to, to first responders. It didn't matter what or who, people just came together and they, they, they helped, they did something good. I think when we come together to do good, whatever that good is, in spite of something else, God is, is glorified in that. We read in James that every good and perfect gift is, is from God. But we have to be open to those things, even in the midst of, of difficulty, as so many of us were uh, when the hospital exploded. I think the people of Jabesh were not, as I said, initially open to giving God a chance because when this leader, Nahash, first approached them, they didn't hesitate. In verse 1, they say, well, we'll make a treaty with us and we will surrender to you. Just, that's their first reaction. Whatever it is, you know, what, what we just, whatever, whatever you want to do, we'll worship whoever you want to worship. We'll do whatever you want us to do. We'll serve whoever you want us to serve. They were just wanted to find the quickest and easiest way to avoid the difficulty. The difficulty. Fight when your kids say, you know, that we have, traveling, we have this battle as well. The kid, no matter where we're at, they want to go to McDonald's. doesn't matter if, if Red Lobster is next to it or, or whatever nice place. They, they want to go to McDonald's. And, and when we travel in the car, I want to get there fast. And so usually I give in to that tendency to go to McDonald's because they get food and we move on. And, and it's, it's a seamless process. You imagine going, you know, having your kids bug you to go to McDonald's instead of the really nice place or the really good place that you want to go to. And then you go through the drive-thru and you sit in the drive-thru for, for several minutes. Then they get their food and they're like... I'm not hungry now. Can you imagine how mad that would make you? It's kind of how the people are treating God. They've, they've bargained with God. Give us a king to fight our battles. Remember? So he gives them Saul. He gives them Saul to take care of, of the evil. And then the minute something bad happens, the minute they're approached by an enemy, the reason that they wanted a king in the first place, they're like, oh, well, we give up. It's whatever we need to do, we'll do it. I'd like to say that the elders, it tells us the elders of Jabesh, I'd like to say they were more spiritually mature than the people at large that were just ready to give up. Because they say, give us seven days. Well, we'll give God seven days to send messengers. But, but I, really think, I really think more than being more spiritually mature or anything like that, I think it's, I think it's the threat that they're given. He's, uh, the, the leaders of the, the Amorites say, the leader says, I will make a treaty with you. On the condition that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you. And that's when they say, oh, just wait a minute. You can give us seven days, right? And I think the amazing part, the part that where we begin to see God is going to do something, is the fact that they, they said, okay. Sure, take seven days and get your stuff together and then we'll fight a battle, right? Probably their ego was at play a little bit. Maybe they thought, well, if, if, we, if we give them seven days and then defeat them, then then it's really, really certain that, that we were the victors. At any rate, they give God this chance. And God takes the chance. 
often it's, it's our tendency to see difficulties as a sign that maybe God is not involved in something. That God is not going to bless them. And you've, you've heard that cliche. Well, God closed the door to, to this job or this opportunity. And, and sometimes that might be true. But sometimes I think we say that because it's just hard. God closed the door. Well, did he close the door or did you just decide that you really just didn't want to keep trying? That's, that's one extreme that we go to, right? Then there's another extreme when, when, when difficulties come. And, and we may not say this to anybody, especially those of us that are in church a lot. But we just decide, well, you know, God's not leading me or guiding me. So I'm just going to do it on my own. I'm just going to take care of it. It's just up to me. And you quit seeking God's guidance. You quit praying. You quit wondering if God is in it. You just deal with it and think, well, it doesn't matter if God's going to do it or not. I'm just going to take care of it and do it on my own. We go to those extremes and maybe we get mad at God and say, if, if, you know, if, if you, you would be more obvious if you would not allow this bad thing to happen. Part of giving God a chance, though, is actually facing what comes our ways. It's facing the difficulties. And I think the best place you can be when a hard time comes is, is with church people. You ever seen Baptists when funerals happen? You're going to have food for months in your freezer. I didn't make the difficulty go away. But man, the best place to be. Can you imagine going through a difficulty without Christian brothers and sisters? That's, that's what we're for. That's what the people of God are for. And so we face difficulties. And then as we face difficulties, sometimes the things that, ha- that what happens is, is we get emotional. We, we, we experience them and it causes us to feel something. And so the second thing is that when we... When we or giving God a chance, we don't only just feel things, but we allow God to influence what we feel. We allow ourselves to be emotionally affected, not just by the circumstance, but by God, by the Holy Spirit that we know that lives in us if we're Christians. How many internet videos have you seen that begin something like, well, you know what really makes me mad? Just about every one of the rants, you know, there's... Rants have become popular on social media. Someone will, will take a video on their phone of themselves ranting about something. And it can be something as small as, poly, uh, small as traffic, you know, or small as, as their taxes, or, or as, as big as politics, or some of the headlines that upset them. And they'll rant, and they'll post those things, and, and they've just become so popular because people either relate to them, and they like them, and it's always one extreme or the other, or, or they'll hate them, you know, but either way they react and, and that's what they're posted for, is to make you react. I remember several years ago, this guy posted this rant of himself, and he got famous because he was griping about Starbucks that took Merry Christmas off their cups. And I thought, man, he went through a lot. He got famous because he was griping about Starbucks. Whether you are happy that they took Christmas off their cups or not is beside the point. But, I mean, that, that, got, that got the guy famous. And you can find all kinds of rants on the internet, but the thing I think we have to ask ourselves before we hit the share button or even the like button on those things is what emotions am I feeling and why am I feeling them? Is it just because this is a personal thing with me? Is it just because it makes me mad? What roles the Holy Spirit have in, in actually influencing the things that we feel that are really important? I, I think God wants us to be emotional about some things. I don't think Starbucks cups are on that list. Giving God a chance sometimes means that we put the emotions that come most natural to us aside. 
And we allow ourselves to consider what is it that really matters to God. Verse 6 tells us that when Saul became aware of Israel's predicament with with the Ammonites and, and Nahash, that the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him and he burned with anger. And this isn't a, a selfish kind of anger. This isn't an anger that's, that's prompted by a political leader that he's ticked off at or, or taxes or, or some law that he doesn't like that has to do with something that's, that's temporary in this kingdom. It has something to do with God and what God wants in God's people. And yes, later on, Saul's going to be an emotional wreck when we know that he really messes up and, and he gets selfish and he gets self-focused and, and he gets jealous about David. But this is before all that. The Spirit of God comes upon him and he experiences this intense anger. And, and the question I have to stop and ask at this point is, what is, it that, what is it that made him open to this? What is it that opens David up to the Spirit of God influencing the way he feels about something? And a time in the Bible where the Holy Spirit, you know, we believe the Holy Spirit lives in all of us all the time. And we have access to it. But a time in Scripture before that, what was it that opened David up to that moment? And I think it's in verse 5 when he, when he gets there and he sees the people weeping. And he just asks a simple question. What's wrong with everyone? What's wrong with the people? What's going on? What's wrong with God's people is the question that he's asking. Here's a question. When was the last time you were emotionally affected about something that had nothing to do with you or your family or something that was personally connected to you in some way. If Saul's example is not enough, think about Jesus. Jesus is going in to Jerusalem. You remember towards his last days, and the Gospel of Luke tells us that, that as he's going there, knowing that he's going to be killed and, and, and beaten and crucified by their leaders, he weeps over Jerusalem. You remember why? Not because he didn't like their government. Not because he didn't like their policies. Not because he didn't like the leaders. But because he recognized that the people, the people of Jerusalem, were going to miss out on who he was. They were going to miss out on what mattered to God. Those are the things God wants us to be emotional about. Do you know that there are less than 44% of people in Coriel County... That are, that are and, and I'm using this term loosely, that, that go to church. Less than 44%. We have tons of churches. And that's a pretty good figure. Nationally, that's, that's a, a decent figure. That's something that should bother all of our churches. But we get so consumed on, on us, and whether it's the music, I like the music, or the sermon, or whatever's going on with our church. And for most of us, it's kind of out of sight. And out of mind. Giving God a chance requires asking God, what is it? What is it that's worth getting upset about? What is it that's worth being emotional about? And we allow God to influence our emotions. And when we do, when we do, we allow God to prompt us to act. We give God a chance when we allow Him to prompt us to act based on what He allows us to feel. I mentioned last Sunday, Michelle and I attended... Uh, a church. It was First Baptist Orange, Texas. And uh, we went with an old Sunday school teacher of mine. And the pastor preached a sermon. I don't know if it was a sermon. It was, more, it was a talk. But it was a good talk. 
based on sort of the cycle of church involvement that people kind of go through. And he put up this graphic on the screen, and it was a really neat graphic. And I admit, initially, initially I was kind of jealous that I didn't come up with that on my own. But then as I'm going through the sermon, I'm thinking about that. I, I Googled, did a Google image search, and I realized, hey, he didn't make it either. He stole it. So I'm going to steal it from him. There it is. And so he came up with this, this or he posted this graphic, and, and the whole thing was, was based on this idea that there are these concentric circles around which people typically are, are go through some process of being involved in church. And the, the big one, the outside, is, is the community. And if you're here this morning, you came to church, like you've already moved a step closer. You're, part, you're at least part of the crowd, you know, that, that is attending or a part of our church or at least came to our church once. And, 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 then, and then within that of the crowd, there's the congregation, you know, the official people who have their names on the rolls and you, for for, for for some reason, at some point, decided that you were a Christian and, and you became a part of our church and you're the congregation. And then within the congregation, there's a group of committed people. And those are the people that are just at everything. They show up to everything. They attend everything. You know, it doesn't matter what it could be. It could be a fellowship with food or it could be a work day and they're, they're just going to be there. That's who they are. And then even within the congregation, there's a core of people. There's a group of people and they kind of run the church, you know, whether they're official or unofficial. Those are the people that run it. And then even within that, there's a group that really get the, the, the point of church. The point of running the church is, is to be commissioned as followers, commissioned as disciples of Christ. To care about what God cares about. And the truth is you can be a part of every one of those circles all the way up to the commission one and still miss out on it. And, and part of his challenge was not to jump from the outside circle all the way from the crowd of the community all the way to the commissioned, but to take a step to the next one, whatever that might be. Whether it would mean baptism and church membership or, or whether it would mean considering service at vacation Bible school or, or whatever, just whatever that might mean. And the, for the part that is the core, the part that is at everything, to consider are we also a part of that group that is... Are we also a part of that group that, that looks around at the people that are in the crowd group, in the community group, and asks, how can I help nudge them towards a next step of being close to God, being a part of our church? And I remember when Michelle and I were in college, and I told you we went to a Baptist college, and it seemed like all the time we were, we were told we needed to continue. To care about the Great Commission. We need to care about missions. But if you've met us, you know that neither one of us are like these super adventurous people that want to go live overseas. It's just not who we are. But, but we believe that there sh we should care about that. That should be, if we care about what the Bible says and, and what Jesus cared about, then we should care about that. And We made this decision in college to sponsor this girl with Compassion International. Her name was Supra. And I think at the time it was $34 a month. Which is not a lot of money, but to two college students with 15-hour-a-week jobs, that, <laughs> that seemed like a big deal to us. But I just remember clearly, clearly feeling like we needed to do that together, even though we didn't have a lot of money. And I look back at that now as someone that makes a whole lot more money than I did in college, but has it tied up with kids and a house and everything else. And so often it is harder for me now to notice how the Holy Spirit is prompting me. And if I do notice it, if I do notice it, to take action.
action. It's harder. I think the older you get, sometimes the harder it is to pay attention to those things because we think, well, we've done it all. You know, I, I don't need the GPS. I've been down this road before. I'm in the routine. I know what's going on. So many of our churches, I think, are, are filled with folks that they do have a good core. They're a part of that core. But the reason that some of the other circles aren't filled is because they don't make it to that last one. Or they kind of sit on the border. And sometimes even I do as a pastor. You know, I'll have one foot in and, and one foot out. And I forget to care about the things that God cares about. You know how I know that Saul was at least partially influenced by the Holy Spirit when he was prompted to burn with anger? We know the, what Scripture says about anger. You know, it, it can lead to sin. But, but, but it's, it's seen in his actions. When, when after he, he fights the battle and everyone has been defeated... It would have been culturally right and acceptable and, and victorious in his time to look at his own people after he'd done, you know, this was the first great victory. It was proof from God that Saul's really the guy. And back in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 27, there's this small group that grumbles against him. And it would have been appropriate for him to go to that group and just to stamp them out. And the people even tell him, who are those people that said, who is Saul? Kill them. Get rid of them. He says in verse 13, No one will be put to death today, for this day the Lord has rescued Israel. He's saying, today is not about Saul. Today is not about me. Today is about God and what is important to Him. Some of you are in the midst of, of difficulties right now, and the last thing that you want to do is involve God in them. Because you don't want to quit looking at yourself. You don't want to quit feeling sad or sorry. Or you don't even want to consider, well, if I include God, what does that imply? Does that mean he did something or he allowed it to happen? And you don't want to think about that. But the best place you can be is in church when you're facing difficulties. And maybe the thing you need to do is, is to look around you and ask the question, who is it that can be Jesus to me in the midst of this? Who can help me heal emotionally? Who can minister to me and help me in the midst of this difficulty? Some of you know what it's like to be emotional about things. If we asked everyone in here your opinions about news headlines and politics, we, you know, I don't know how many do we have. We count them. We, we probably have more opinions than we have number of people in here. And, and you should. You should be informed and you should care. But just the nature of things are is that some of you are going to disagree sharply on some of the things that are in the news. Some of you disagree sharply on who the president should be, or, or who, who a good president has been. But Jesus didn't weep over Jerusalem based on the political opinions of the people. What if you asked God to help you feel as emotional about the 55% of people that, that have no connection to church in our community as you, as you do about a political party? And some of you do care. Some of you are there, but, but maybe you're like me. You just don't always know what to do or, or, or how to do or how to approach that or how to ask someone to, to go to church or encourage someone to go to church. And I don't have all the answers to that either. But I do know that God prompts us. He leads us and he guides us based on what we give our attention to. On what we notice. On what we submit to him. On how we draw near to him. Because if you don't even, you don't even pay attention to that, then, then surely, yeah, you're not going to know what to do. What do you need to give God a chance to do 
in your wife, in your church, in your family today. Let's pray together. God, we believe that, that you do work. We believe that the Holy Spirit leads and guides. And God, I'll, I believe personally that it does that when we pay attention to it. And that sounds so simple, but honestly, it's, it's, it's hard. And the more responsibilities we have and, and the more things that are going on in our lives, the harder it can be. God, help us to pay attention to you today. Help us to notice you. Help us, help us if, if nothing else, just to ask, what is it really that you, that you care about that should, that should make me concerned or upset or, or sad? Help us to take a step outside of ourselves this morning. Pay attention to the Holy Spirit as you lead and guide. In Jesus' name.